Good morning, my name is Johnny, and in a few moments, my wife Mary will be teaching about the prophet Elijah. And I have a reading from 1 Kings chapter 19, the first 10 verses. Now Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, may the gods deal with me be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like that of one of them. Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there, while he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness. He came to a broom bush, sat down under it, and prayed that he might die. I have had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. Then he lay down under the bush and fell asleep. All at once an angel touched him and said, get up and eat. He looked around and there by his head was some baked bread over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate and drank and then lay down. Then the angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, get up and eat for the journey is too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank. Strengthened by that food, he traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. There he went into a cave and spent the night. And the word of the Lord came to him. What are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left, and now they are trying to kill me too. Thank you. Good morning. My name is Mary Bashara, and I have the privilege of talking about Elijah with you today. And I have to make a little confession. I had a pretty good time putting together the slideshow for this. So I'm just going to apologize right now for where I was, where my head was yesterday when I was doing that. <laughs> oh, well, I want to introduce to you um, this story of Elijah. And so there are three main characters here. There's Ahab, King Ahab. There's Jezebel, and then there's Elijah, the prophet. First, let's get to know King Ahab a little bit. He reigned as king over Israel for 22 years. In 1 Kings 16.30, it says, Ahab, the son of Omri, did evil in the sight of the Lord more than all those who were before him. Not a great start. I mean, would you like to be known for that, being the one that did more evil than anybody else? And they had some pretty shady kings back in those days, so it's bad. Well, Ahab married Jezebel, and in verse 31 it says, he went to serve Baal and Asherim and worshipped before them. He also built a pillar to the goddess Asherah. 
And the Bible says in verse 33, Thus Ahab did more to provoke the Lord God of Israel than all of the kings of Israel who were before him. Now, I've always noticed in Scripture, when God says something once, he means it. When he says it twice, he really means it. So he really um, was hard on Ahab. Now I want to move over to our next character, and she is Jezebel. Now, I just have to share with you, you should just Google Jezebel, that name sometime, and you cannot imagine what you get up there. But I'm just showing you. This is what the world thinks Jezebel is. She's kind of a hot little chick with big eyes, dressed really cool, and she's got guns flaring. You know, I, I mean, it's not, um, it's not the same image that I kind of get through reading scripture. So I shifted that to a more appropriate <laughs> picture of Jezebel. <laughs> so let's get to know her. She's quite a character. She's the wife of Ahab. She's the princess of Tyre and Sidon. She, because of this marriage between Ahab and Jezebel, those communities were tied together for trade and defense. And this is pretty common among those times. You'd sort of marry the royalty between two communities, and that would tie them together. Not a bad idea, but Jezebel brought some baggage with her. She brought her, ba her gods, Baal and Asherah, with her. Oh, and a little more baggage, too. She brought 450-plus priests to help her worship those two false gods. And so she brought a lot with her to Israel that probably we could have done without. But just for context, the god Baal is thought to be the god of weather who could give or withhold produce of the land. So effectively, Ahab and Jezebel have turned the nation of Israel, whether out of force or out of fear to the worship of Baal. And you know how God feels about worshiping idols. I don't know, there's a line somewhere in those Ten Commandments somewhere that says, you shall have no other gods before me. Yeah, you get it. On to the scene comes Elijah. Ta-da! Um, his name actually means, my God is Yahweh. No ambiguity here. He arrives with a strong message for Ahab and for the entire community of Israel from God. Elijah directly challenges the idol worship of Baal by stating in 1 Kings 17.1, as, as the Lord, the God of Israel lives, before whom I stand, surely there will be no dew nor rain until I say so. Can you imagine the confidence of Elijah? He could have been killed because Jezebel had killed a bunch of the prophets of God when she came into power with Ahab. And he could have been killed. But what gave this man this boldness that he could say, I'm not letting it rain until I say so. That's the confidence of God, that's for sure. 
After Elijah's proclamation, God said, Go, get thee out of Israel, go to Judah, to the river Cherith, and at that river I will provide for you. During that time, there were many little miracles that happened to Elijah. So he left the land of Israel. It is basically cursed at this point by Elijah and God to bring these people to their knees, to show them that their worship of Baal and Asherah has been a, a folly that God is not proud of. So he takes him to the river Cherith and feeds him with the ravens, miracle number one. These birds actually bring Elijah bread and water. Well, he's got water by the river, but they bring him bread and meat on a daily basis, and that was ordered by God. But pretty soon, the drought is so severe that the river in Cherith dries up. And so God says, go to, okay, now here's a tough name, Zapath. I'm going to just say Zapath. And there I will provide for you through a widow. What widow? Who is this person? He just had to obey and go. So he did, and he gets over to Zapath, and he meets a widow, and she has nothing. As a matter of fact, she has enough flour and oil to bake one more bread for her and her son, and then they're going to lay down and die. That's her plan. Okay, I need plan B. But Elijah comes along, and he says, God sent me to you. Bake a cake for me to eat. She had a choice. So she did. She obeyed God. She obeyed Elijah. And she baked a cake for the prophet. And then he provided supernaturally for this woman to have unlimited flour and unlimited oil for the rest of the drought. So it was, it's, a, it's another story and another sermon, but it's another miracle that God provided for Elijah. And then also, too, for people who were obedient to God, he made a provision. And so that's miracle number two during this period of time. Miracle number three, he also knew another woman who was a widow. Now, in those days, widows, women, women, um, had to rely on their husbands and their sons. They couldn't really work. And so if you lost your husband, you were in trouble. If you lost your son, you were even more in trouble, and you were destitute, and you would have to beg for your food. It wasn't fair, but it was the times. And so this woman had lost her husband, and so she was on shaky ground, but then her son died. And she comes to the prophet and she says to him, what are you going to do? And he went to the son who was dead and he laid on top of him. And the, it, the Bible says he stretched himself on top of the boy and God breathed life back into the boy and he returned that boy to his mother, giving her hope, giving her a future. And so three miracles, the feeding of the ravens, the unlimited flour and oil, and the raising of this kid from the dead during these years of drought in Israel. 
So we know God was close to Elijah. We know he was still there. He was giving him signs. He was giving him hope. Meanwhile, three years later, three years, no rain, not even a drop of dew had come down on Israel, and the drought had taken its toll. You know, these people had suffered during these years, and Elijah wasn't a popular kind of guy. And the truth is that Ahab and Jezebel were furious with Elijah. They hated Elijah. But Elijah was told to go back to Ahab. How many of you would sign up for that mission? No, <laughs> not me. But Elijah boldly said to Israel and to Ahab in 1 Kings 18.21, How long will you hesitate between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. If Baal, follow him. Obviously, Baal hadn't done anything in the three years of drought. Had he? So like, Elijah's in a really good space to be able to challenge these people. But the challenge between Elijah goes on and he challenges the 450 prophets of Baal. And he says to them, okay, we're going to have a showdown. And the showdown was, you pray to your God, Baal, and you do a sacrifice to him. And if he comes down in fire and receives the sacrifice, fire from heaven, then he's God, right? But if I do a sacrifice to my God and he comes down and takes the sacrifice with fire from heaven, then he is God. Everybody goes, okay, we can do this. 450 prophets, get up there. And they build their sacrifice and they put it all there. And they dance. And they sing. And they whine. And they cry. And they do this all day long. They even cut themselves to give their god Baal a blood sacrifice. That's really icky. Personally, it's icky. And... <laughs> The Bible says no one paid attention. Nothing happened. Silence. So at this point, Elijah, and you can go back and read this in 1 Kings. It is kind of funny. He pokes fun at the god Baal, and he says, maybe he's on vacation. And then he says, maybe he had to go to the bathroom. It's not written that way in your Bible, but it's definitely what it means. <laughs> After he gets done poking fun of them, I mean, here's one guy. He didn't have 449 other guys around him. It's one guy, but he's got God. And so anyways, so he goes and he repairs the altar of God because Jezebel had torn it apart. He repairs it. He puts on the wood. He has them help him. The Israelites are like engaging now 
because they see, they've seen some things, the drought, all of these things, Elijah's courage, so they're helping him, and they build the altar, they get the wood on there, they sacrifice the oxen, the oxen is laid on top of it. You know, the whole sacrifice thing kind of leaves me cold, but anyways, we don't have to do it anymore because of Jesus. So, yeah, woo! Um, but they get it all ready. Then he does something very unique. And he says, okay, now I want you to take water and I want you to pour it over the sacrifice because there was a trick that the priests used to do when they wanted to show something impressive to the people and they would have a spark already lit underneath the altar. And so it wasn't too tough to get the altar to go up into flames just on a split second. But he said, pour water on it. And then he said, pour more water on it. Then he said, pour more water on it again. So the entire thing was saturated. There's no way there was a hidden spark underneath that altar. This was going to be God or nothing, right? Oh, this scripture is so good. That's coming up. Okay. Um, and then he prays a very simple little prayer. And he says in 1 Kings 18.36, O Lord... Today, let it be known that you are God in Israel. And the next thing we see is whoosh. 1 Kings 18.38 says, Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt offering, the wood, the stones, the dust, and licked up all the water. I just have to say that word licked up really meant something to me. And it meant something to the people of Israel too because they were there. I mean, it's one thing for me to tell you about a story and you go, wow, or I have great graphics, wow. But it's another total thing for you to be there and see it happen and it shook them. It shook them in their souls and in their spirits and they fell down in repentance because of what God was showing them in his miraculous and mighty way. With all of that momentum, the Israelites turned their face back to God and said, the challenge is true. He is God of everything. And so the people, along with Elijah, took the 450 prophets of Baal and they killed them. I mean, it's kind of a sad part of the story, but it's there. And so after all of this, the people are turning back to God and they're coming back because of God's miraculous hand and what he showed. Meanwhile, there's a severe drought in the land and Elijah is directed to go and pray. But first, he's a little bit cocky. He says to Ahab, go and eat quickly. I hear the sound of thunder. Because he knows that God promised to make it rain again. So Ahab goes. Elijah goes to the mountain. He goes up to Mount Carmel with his servant. And it says that he sat down and he prayed. And he put his head between his knees and he did not look up but he sent his servant and he said go look and see are there any clouds in the sky servant goes over 
nope, I don't see any clouds in the sky. And, and he didn't lift his head, and Elijah said, go again, go again. So he goes again, and he looks again, he comes back, no, I don't see any clouds in the sky. You know, and so the servant, I'm sure, is thinking, you've lost it now, Elijah. Elijah sent him seven times, you go, you go, you go. I just want to put in a footnote here. Sometimes when I'm doing something and I do it and it doesn't work, I'll go and do it again. But I got to tell you what, we should just keep doing it. If you know it's from God, don't give up. You do it seven times. So the seventh time, servant goes over there, look and see, and he comes back and he says, you know what, I think I see a little cloud out there. It's about the size of a man's fist. It's way out there. And Elijah goes, great, hurry. You go tell Ahab that he better get in his chariot and better get over to Jezreel so that he can tell Jezebel what's happened because a great shower is going to come and it's going to wash the roads out. And this is going to be the resolution of the drought in Israel. Oh, time for another miracle. So Ahab jumps in his, oops, this is, I'm having some more fun with these slides. So Ahab jumps in his chariot and takes off speeding. But what happens, the Bible says that um, Elijah girded up his loins, a couple of words I don't get there, what are loins and what's girding? But anyways, he girded up his loins. I think that means he picked up that thing and started to run. <laughs> yeah, pulled his pants up. Um, so um, I couldn't find a good picture graphic for this. So this is another Elijah, and he's a very fast runner. He's a marathoner in the New York Marathon. And I thought, well, it's a good representation of an Elijah running really fast. But this Elijah girded up his loins and he outraced Ahab's chariot. That's a little miracle, folks. I can't even run very fast at all. So um, once Elijah's now in Jezreel ahead of Ahab, Ahab races in on his chariot and he goes to Jezebel and he goes, guess what happened? Elijah did all this stuff, and he killed you 450 prophets and priests of Baal. And then we come back to what John was reading earlier. What did Jezebel do? She freaked out. She told him that she was going to kill him by noon the next day. And here's the part that has always confused me, and this is why I really felt like I wanted to do this particular prophet and this particular passage. With all that has happened before, with all of the miracles that God has done through Elijah and for Elijah, he heard Jezebel's threat and ran away to a cave? I don't know, it just has never made sense to me. But I just wanna say, Elijah's a man. He is used of God, he is a prophet, but he is just a man. So I have to cut him some slack here, and I don't mean to be critical of him. You know, she freaks out and says she's going to kill Elijah, and that causes Elijah to run into a cave. And it's, it's hard to fathom that. 
Have you ever been there before, though? I have to admit, I have been there. I had my own little Jezebel and Jezreel moment. Years ago, I'm a nurse, and years ago, I worked in pain and palliative care. And God called me to that ministry. And I helped families, and I helped people through the toughest struggle that we, that we know of, that we understand, and that is that challenge at the end of life. God called me to that ministry, and, and it was very satisfying and fulfilling to me. But I had, a, I won't call her Jezebel, but I had a person who was like that in my life, and she started to criticize and, and scrutinize and bully me, and I lost my confidence. I, I lost my perspective, and I started to question God, where are you? How come you're letting this happen to me? You know, I'm touching people. I'm even praying with my patients. There is so much good that I was doing. This person in my life threatened me so much that I kind of did an Elijah, and I ran away. I quit my job, and I ran away and hid in my cave. Like Elijah, I focused on my problem on my feelings, on all the things that were going wrong, and on my predicament. Like Elijah, I had forgotten what God demonstrated, proving his faithfulness in the past to me. I had forgotten his past provision, just a little stuff, food, clothing, shelter. I had forgotten his supernatural raising me from the dead when I accepted Christ as my Savior. I had forgotten his life-giving reign all around me, like my faithful husband of 36 years, my three beautiful children, the freedom to worship in a church filled with faithful believers. You know, when I stopped rehearsing all of my problems to God and started rehearsing God to all my problems, they really got small, they got little. And that was a good thing. How about you? Are you rehearsing your problems to God? God, where are you? Why is this happening? What's going on? Where are you when I need you? Or are you rehearsing your God to your problems? My God has done this. My God has done this in the past. My God has saved me. My God has given me three beautiful children and a husband who loves me. You know, I mean, I could tell you stories about what my God has done. But until I start rehearsing what my God has done for me and stop rehearsing what my problems are to my God, I lose my power if I do that. But if I do it the other way, I gain refreshment and renewal of my spirit. And it changes the atmosphere and it changes everything. And I'm here to tell you today, Elijah was just a man, not criticizing. But Elijah could have taken a little bit of time to say, my God provides flour and oil endlessly. My God comes down and licks up the water off of the altar. My God provides for me at Cherith with ravens for Pete's sakes. 
my God, my God. We got to learn to rehearse what our God has done for us. Isaiah 41, 10 says, Do not fear, for I am with you. Do not anxiously look about you, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Surely I will help you. Surely I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. We have a lot more revelation today than Elijah had. We have Jesus. That changed everything. God is with us today, right now. My God can dot, dot, dot. You fill in the blank. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you gave us the prophets. They did not have a fun job. And so we just thank you for Elijah's example, Lord God. And we do not forget, Lord God, that the angels came and they ministered to Elijah when he was weak and frail. So God, you will minister to us when we are weak and frail too. We don't have to be strong Amazon warriors every day, Lord God. But you will send an angel to bake us a piece of bread and to give us water and to give us rest as John read the scriptures. Father, help us to remember, to rehearse you and what you have done and just watch our problems grow strangely dim. In Jesus' precious name.